0: Hi everyone, Uh, welcome to the Altruistic Traveller podcast where I interview influential change makers from around the world and this week I have another guest who is currently in Cambodia in Phnom Penh, his name is Tony Macy and he is a founder of Expert Exchange which is a a charity, (laughs) social enterprise.
1: A uh, 501c3 nonprofit from the United States, so charity.
0: Yes, with the mission to empower disenfranchised families globally via skills training and the capital to foster lasting oh. community improvements. Um, But you have um, such a great bio here. I know that you don't only um, do this, Tony. I know that you've come from a background um, in philanthropy and development. So why don't you just introduce yourself to our listeners so they can um, get to know you a little bit more.
1: Okay, yeah. Um, So, Tony Macy. And I founded Expert Exchange back in 2014. This was after... Uh, I did some backpacking, traveling through Southeast Asia and came to Cambodia, Thailand and these other countries and kind of witnessed firsthand what was going on in the area and it made me start to think that with my background and skills I could come to the area and help. Uh, Before coming to Southeast Asia, uh, out of the high school I was in the military and after I got out of the military I went to school for medical uh, and ended up with philosophy and then um, I was an advocate in D.C. for veterans rights and um, a whole bunch of other issues and that's kind of what led me to founding Expert Exchange and now yeah. Been here for in Cambodia for three, three and a half years, solid working with uh, the focus of mainly education, so getting kids into schools, uh, getting school supplies, uh, and getting teachers the proper training they need, and medical. So lately, we've been having uh, a doctor who's partnered with Expert Exchange, who's Come over and we'll be returning uh, next week and we're working on developing the medical curriculum at the university level for Cambodia and um, just going from there with projects
0: yeah, it sounds like it's been um, a pretty amazing three years what um like, at what point did you realize that you kind of wanted to move away from the veterans' rights and um, and take yourself over to Cambodia and work on um, community development? So,
1: it's so like 2013, 2014, when I took a break and was traveling, doing backpacking, traveling through Southeast Asia, I was kind of thinking about. Whether I wanted to fully commit and make that a career or if there was a possibility that I wanted to start something else. So then as soon as I got over to uh, Cambodia, for me, it was rewarding uh, as a veteran, as someone, just to see Cambodia and the country, how they had gone through the trauma and how they had developed. Uh, and also, I just felt like there was something that I could really bring to the table along with uh, a lot of other veterans. So for me, it was this like white bulb moment of okay, this is how I want to approach things. I don't want to really approach it um, trying to work with lawmakers and politicians. I want to get more hands on and on the ground now.
0: Yeah, I think, um, I mean, Cambodia is such an example of a country that had completely turned around from only being in um, war, I guess, in the 90s. Is it kind of, was it that relationship that just had, that contributed to that light bulb moment that you had?
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely. is. was... Um as a country people are amazing but I also recognize the mutual trauma um, they had gone through in their past Um, and the the resilience was something that really struck me as it made me curious and how Someone could go, a country could go through so much and be so resilient and just, that's kind of what really fascinated me. And then uh, being in the situation that I was with having funders to support me and then also taking the idea of maybe other veterans would be able to benefit. So it was kind of like a win-win for everything where the veterans coming over would be uh, able to participate and work with another country, so it's a cultural exchange. But during this exchange, we're exchanging ideas. We're um, helping with development. There's so many aspects of it that are happening. It's not just one specific cause where we're going to build a well. It's, well, we're taking... um, for example, it's like two years ago, I was working with uh, monks who have a charity in CM Reap, and they're very business minded. But working with them for me as a veteran was um, very rewarding. They They taught me a lot about life and just. Prioritizing things. Uh, one thing that I'll never forget before working with them, uh, they wanted me to meditate with them. I forget how long, it was like two weeks or a month every single day, I go there and meditate with them. And then after doing that, they're like, okay, now we can start talking about uh, doing development work. But th- what they're getting across to me is that they want to make sure that the person's uh, healed and focusing on themselves before they focus on helping other people. And I think that's very powerful and very important. And I also think they're alluding to that I need to make sure I understand the country, the culture, and the people that I'm working with in it. And that's also a very powerful message too.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting that that's one of the moments that um, that stuck with you. Had you done meditation
1: anytime prior to that yeah uh, I it's more like the meditation of trying to do it on my own never with a monk uh, and then dedicating time every morning to doing it for a half hour an hour uh, before it's more just 15 minutes and yeah, so there's nothing is nothing like that.
0: Was it something like that helps you personally?
1: Definitely. I still incorporate it uh in part of my daily routine, I think. It's quite helpful for just to gather your thoughts uh and also to be an observer on what's going on. Uh I I like to start my day with even if it's just fifteen minutes, fifteen twenty minutes um, of meditating, and then kind of doing like a guided visualization of where I visualize what I'm going to do today, uh, how I expect to get it done, and if it happens or if it doesn't happen. That way, in my mind, I'm taking you know an idea thinking about it, thinking about how I'm going to make it happen, and then getting in the habit of actually seeing it happen. So uh, the whole idea for me behind that is taking ideas and turning them into action and implementation. And through meditation and the guided meditation with it is a powerful way of reinforcing that you have this ability and you can do this and also just keeping yourself in check too so you know personally maybe something comes up and this is what's going on when you thought this other thing was uh, the problem it's just uh, kind of what the monks and everyone in my past with medical has always talked about is keeping yourself healthy so you can help other people and be the healthiest person so uh, you know keeping your mind and your body in tune and healthy is the most important thing for you to be helping other people
0: yeah I agree I mean we always often talk about keeping healthy in a physical way but you know I think it's just as equally important to keep the mind healthy and it's amazing the more I kind of you know meet these people that are wanting to um i guess change the world so to speak or people with big ideas it's like you it's true you can't kind of bring those ideas to life when you have a clouded mind or when you're just so distracted on other things um so that's one of the things that i've realized just you know sort of growing and especially in the past few years just meeting so many people that meditation is just such an important part um of their lives, and especially in our space, in the kind of, you know, social impact space, when we really just have these ideas that we want to bring to life.
1: Yeah, I agree, and uh, so I think it's also important to make sure when you know you're wanting to give back, and like you were saying, with the people who want to change the world, uh, you're doing it for the correct reasons. You're not trying to change the world, to distract yourself from your problems or to convince yourself that um, you're correct. Do you get what I mean, with what I'm saying with this? Yeah,
0: yeah, I, I get what you mean. Is that kind so, of something that, I mean, I feel like that when you told me that story about the monks, like that they were, that they knew that they wanted to kind of, you know, understand why you're here, why you're in Cambodia, why you want to do what you had set out to do and it's really interesting that they um, you know, actually wanted you to meditate on that and wanted to make sure that you were doing it for the right reasons.
1: Absolutely, I think they were beyond, uh, I can put it in words, how much for my growth. They humbled me, they made me understand more about myself uh, and they they made me understand why I was wanting to um work in Cambodia why I was so all my intentions on why I was involved with this and from there I think once you understand that and understand yourself you're a lot more powerful advocate worker um whatever you're doing and can be a lot more effective
0: yeah absolutely um, yeah, so going back to kind of the model of expert exchange, was it originally so you could involve um, veterans in this kind of a humanitarian um, process with you?
1: Yeah, so the original model was the focus is for veterans to come over, so like a Peace Corps Type of veterans, but it was funded. I found going to be funded by uh, microfinancing, uh, and once I got over here, I realized that this is a classic example of. So, let me let me make this clear. There is microfinancing um, charities that are doing great things, uh, and. I give them thumbs up. But in Cambodia, a lot of the microfinancing is causing more harm. So this is a great example of someone coming to a country, me, with a Western idea, Western values, Western belief system coming here thinking that I'll be able to um, implement my idea and help them. But as soon as I got here, I realized my intentions are good, but my idea is not. Um, what would end up happening is I would give them. Uh, I, I didn't give out any loans, but if I was to give out uh, loans, I was going to do it at a zero percent interest. What would have happened though is they would have gone to a bank, the bank that's doing them at twelve to eighteen percent to pay me back, and by me trying to free them up of um, and give empower them, free them up of financial problems. I would, in return, cause more financial problems for them. So I I scratched that idea, and it's turned into more of a hands-off approach. I've always tried to keep it as hands-off as I could be or always have a plan to transfer over to the local or someone who's working with me to have them Um, take it over and be in control, because the whole idea to me of charity work, development work, is you should be trying to work yourself out of a job, and if you're not, uh, you're wrong. And now what we have developed into is taking specific projects on, as in the doctor, because there's a the demand for the development of medical in Cambodia. Um, in In the future, what we've also done is set up our website. So we have three types of project proposals. And on there, people will submit project proposals, and we'll either fund them or we won't. But the number one priority on there is people who are from the country and we want to support them with their ideas. Uh, and then if we can be of help with logistics or bringing in the expert uh, to train someone or a group of people, then we'd be more than happy. But yes, it's it's gone from this idea of uh, veterans and the microfinancing to more of a very clear focused with locals uh we also still focus on veterans a lot uh It's just the veterans need to be able to submit a project proposal and do everything like the experts or the other um, people who are trying to volunteer would do the grantees so it's It's been a learning process, and what's what's happened is just by being here the last three and a half years we've changed with as as we've also been learning uh and on our blogs and uh facebook we're not shy about this when we have something that doesn't work, we'll share it uh and we think this is important because we we're hoping that other people will read this one who are following us and who are looking at getting into it can learn from our mistakes and take our experience and go off of it
0: yeah, yeah i think i mean it's so honorable to be doing that because you know if you look at cambodia it's got one of the highest percentage of ngos per capita if not the highest because for a long time, you know, you're right, like, we, we have this Western mentality going in there and saying, okay, like, we're here, like, we're going to be the heroes and we're going to, like, fix everything. But actually, it's just so much more complicated than that. And, you know, you, you're right that you need to be there or you just need to give time to learn about what works and what doesn't work like even myself um probably back when I maybe met you the first time in 2014 was over there and you know I had the same idea I was like okay let's do something and you know me and my friend we we just ended up teaming up with an organization there and um, we built a school classroom which was an amazing experience but then after that we just kind of and you know, we didn't really know where to go and, and we just felt that we weren't um educated enough to be really just putting our hands in there and 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 kind of trying to make something. So I think the the fact that you've you know spent three and a half years and that you've been open about change and open about perhaps you know, not so much mistakes, but just, you know, be open about learning, I think it's so great and such a good example. Um for other people that kind of you know wanted to get into that space, um, which is yeah, which is great. Which is why I you know and I've I've read your blogs and I love the fact that you guys are just so open about what you do and seeing like I've loved seeing the change um, as well. So
1: yeah, and I think you hit on something, uh, pretty big too is. When people come here and they're wanting to give a one of the most important things we have to ask too is do the community and the country or the people do they even want us do they even want us here? Do they want the support? That's one of the things that we always make sure before we're going in and working with them is if they don't want the support, this isn't gonna work and we're not here to push our values on anyone. So it's yeah, it's a learning lesson. And the other thing, too, is I get a lot of people who are traveling through Cambodia or through friends that reach out and they want to give back. And this is a tough one because uh, I, I admire people for wanting to give back their time on uh, and volunteer a few days or a week whatever it is when they're traveling but for my organization that's not something that i i do um, because we're as hands-off as we can be uh and then this can go into a whole nother talk but that type of volunteering actually is proving to be more harmful specifically what i'm talking about is what teaching with children and the interaction with that. Uh, And a lot of the volunteers, I don't think, are really looking to spend a week building a well. If they are, that's great. But so the problem that I've run into over the last three-plus years is um, other NGOs, other organizations coming here uh, meaning to help, helping, uh, then running out of funding or something happens, and these are the schools that we help now, um, a lot with funding. So, by bringing in the supplies, helping the teachers, things like that. So, if, if I could give a recommendation, advice, if someone was listening to this, looking to start or set up something. It'd be make sure that you have a plan for the long term because uh, say you were to start something and then if it was not to work out, would the repercussions of that be worse than doing nothing at all? Uh, I guess is the point I'm trying to get to.
0: Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. I kind of feel like that there is enough on the ground for you know any person to not... Start something of their own, but rather to see if they can collaborate. Um, Definitely. I mean, there's so much going on in every area. Uh, I feel like that there's always an opportunity for collaboration. Although, I guess on the other side of that, I mean, when you came through, and it was only a couple of years ago when you developed the relationship with that small village, right? Yeah,
1: and I mean that was just through. That was through locals just asking locals where to go, where's, you know, where, where, because it seems if you go through, when you go through one channel, they're going to point you to one direction. And um, it it seems like a lot of focus is pointed to certain areas. uh, And then they also have a tourist aspect about it. I mean, uh an example would be the floating villages. They they get a lot of attention. We got pushed to them with the doctors um to give out medical or a little medical clinic. But I know from being there for long enough that there's also other areas that could use it just as much, if not worse. So it's it's all about when you're going through the process and you're working with the country, uh, they're the ones who ultimately tell you where to go. Uh, and then also, that's why I sought out just, like, tuk-tuk drivers so I could find places where you know, other people aren't necessarily getting pushed to and try and help those areas.
0: I mean, if, uh, like, as I was saying before, having... um. The highest capita of of NGOs in in one area. I just it, I wonder what your thoughts are on you know pockets like this that aren't really receiving any aid. Yet you know they're so close to CM Reap. What did you think? In your opinion, um, was you know how do you think some of these small pockets kind of get missed or is it just it's social issues that we can't really understand
1: um, well you've been to Cambodia so you, I think you understand how the things work with decision makings um, I I think the government's definitely doing do a lot better with the organization, getting things online, um, the development. So they understand when people are here, and people are in one community, community A, and community B isn't getting something. Now they're talking, and it's getting. Uh, in the last couple of years, I can I can see this. Uh, before, I just don't think it was uh, organization. I, we had so many. Uh, NGOs. We had so many people coming in who w- weren't even letting the government know what they were doing. So um, it's just a lack of communication, and <clears throat> that's that's a lot of that's changing. I mean, you see Cambodia is tightening their grip uh, and trying to get control over the NGOs and what's going on in this country. So. For that aspect, it seems to be better. Uh, I also think that some people in power would be more wanting to say, "Help my community. This is my family. This is where my family's from." So that, that that's definitely could be happening. Uh, and then other communities just get overlooked. And I've been told by when I developed relationship with the interpreters and the Cambodians that I work with, that they don't want to show us the um, worst poverty because they don't think that we can handle it, uh, I guess is the best way to put it. So they're kind of trying to save face almost, in a sense, uh, when after working with them and them understanding and them trusting me, that's how I end up getting to regions where there's no NGOs, uh, and they understand that well, my, my motives are simple. I'm trying to solve complex problems with the poverty and just starting with the kids, uh, with education and medical. And when you focus on those two things, it's it's really easy for anyone to get behind and support. So, uh, I mean, does that kind of answer your question?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. It does. Okay. Um, I So in your opinion, would you say that medical and education are going to be the key areas that will bring people out of poverty?
1: Yeah, see, the way I look at um, work or the work that I'm doing with expert exchanges, how can I affect things generationally because I think when you're looking at it in the generation aspect uh, that having the next generation well educated, having the next generation have proper uh, doctors where they're not leaving Cambodia and going to Thailand or Singapore or other countries and keeping that here also has a ripple effect with Okay, you have well-educated doctors who are staying in the country. Uh, It's going to spread. And then we also have um, the huge STEM push right now, which I'm not a part of. uh, uh, It's going on. So, like, the country is focused on short-term fixes with helping people in when they're in situations where they need immediate aid, that's being focused on. And a lot of, for marketing purposes with NGOs, a lot of NGOs understand that if you're able to do those type of things, you'll receive more donations. So you kind of have to. But what I always try and focus and shift to is, um, like, like how do we really solve this problem if, if we're having kids who aren't being educated, what's going on, what's going on in the community, so they're not being sent to the schools. Are the teachers at the schools able to, you know, did did they receive an education? You have to think about the teachers. Most of them grew up when this country was in war. So what level of education did they receive? And for me, I've found, you know, it's not easy raising money to help a teacher, you know, to sponsor a teacher and sponsor her education when that teacher in return could sponsor, or not sponsor, but teach thousands of students throughout her career or his career. But to sponsor one child, that's no problem because a picture of a kid or bringing up the story of a child, that that resonates with people. Yeah,
0: have you actually read the book? It's called um, The Life You Can Save. No. It's by a philosopher called Peter Singer. Anyway, he talks about this exact thing because it it's a study that's been done of, you know, will people rather donate to, like, a community of a 100 people or donate to one child? And the majority of people would rather donate to one child even though the If you did donate to the community of one hundred, you'd actually be helping you know a hundred people, but it's that like connection that people feel with that one child like I'm gonna save this one life, but rather than um you know just kind of putting your money in there and letting it help the whole the community as a whole
1: yes that's it's on. And I mean, that's kind of what also pushed me um, to start a uh, for profit social enterprise because uh, I'm looking to support projects. With you know, people come to me because I've been here, I've been on the ground, and then I would say 90. 95% of the time, people, when they donate, completely just trust and say, just goes towards what Expert Exchange is doing. But every once in a while, i get someone who wants to do something specific. And to be honest, these are usually people who donate smaller amounts, too. Uh, I just, unless it's something that we're doing, I usually turn them away because it's kind of a headache. Uh But I've also come to the conclusion with starting a uh, for-profit social enterprise is a lot of my time I'm spending trying to help people get jobs, um, get incomes. So if I know, of which I do, uh, ways to provide them with jobs, uh, make money, and then in return, the money that I make is going back into Expert Exchange to develop projects. It's uh, kind of a win-win. So for me, it's just been over the last three, four years a learning experience on formulating what you know Expert Exchange has turned into uh, my nonprofit, and then to swag the for-profit. Next year or so, that's going to get flushed out, and these two pieces coming together. Will will make both work, and in a sense, the for profit is a form of aid. The new approach is business through aid, uh, and I agree with it a lot of times. That's why I like to focus on education with children and uh, the medical and the learning. But I'm all I'm also looking for the country that I'm working in to be working just as hard as I am. If not harder for their country, uh, and not not working.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I think social enterprise is going to be the way of the future. I mean, you know, the the charity model—it's been it it might not really be working because I mean, look no. how many charities there are, and still in some of these places we see. Countries that have the same social issues and the same poverty as what they did um years ago, I'm not to say that charity doesn't work, of course it does, but here over here, I think that we've become so desensitized to it, and you know we've kind of been seeing it for so long that we think, oh well like our our fifty dollar donation is probably not gonna make a difference like you'd be surprised at the amount of people that say have said to me like oh, I don't go to World Vision because, uh, I don't donate to World Vision because, you know, they pay their employees and, you know, there's all this kind of negativity Mm -hmm. around it where I can understand where they're coming from. Actually, there's a really good, uh, Mm -hmm. TED talk about this man who was speaking about, um, his charity that he started and I can't remember exactly what it is, but, they they ended up getting some bad media because it came out that they were spending 10% of the money on, um, on staff and business and marketing. And he kind of came out and said, okay, well, if I didn't spend any of my money on marketing, then I would probably be able to raise like $1 million. But if I spent, you know, $20,000 on marketing, for example, then I would be able to raise... Um, like three million dollars so you're kind of talking about that investment to be able to raise more money for this cause but people don't really see it that way they're kind of like well I don't want to be donating to paying someone's salary
1: yes um and this is the exact reason why I've switched to a for-profit model is because uh our world. Values, are how our world is under the assumption that people who dedicate their lives to nonprofit work and all this work are noble, but yet shouldn't be paid for it. Um, but in the meantime, if you're a lawyer or someone for like the tobacco lobby or something like that, it's okay that you're expected to make almost a million dollars a year, and that's okay in our culture. So these two things frustrate me and why I just choose to w- switch to the for-profit so I don't have to be as reliant on donors. Um, the donors that I have are amazing right now. Uh, I, I mainly rely on a lot of monthly donations in small amounts, like $20 a month, where people have to do it every month. Uh, that's what I live on. So, but yeah, I, I think our world has some jaded views on nonprofits because though people have taken advantage of it and there's nonprofits who don't do anything and NGOs who don't do anything and they just take people's money. So it's kind of, people are very suspicious right now uh, and I understand both sides of it because, you know, I work with it. And then uh, being in Cambodia, you do see NGOs and nonprofits that are exploiting the system.
0: Yeah, I know what you mean. I see both sides as well. I mean, I guess from us with a background in this kind of stuff, we've seen what it's like on the ground and we've seen that, you know, this these donations can go a long way i mean like i guess what people don't realize is that we are living in a world which is unequal and you've got some parts of the world which are just thriving with money and then other parts which don't but yeah we people have become desensitized and there is a lack of trust about you know if you do donate i think there's also like a you don't feel that you're connected to the cause. Like donation can be just a click on a computer. You don't, you know, even though your money is is more than likely making a difference to someone else's life, you don't really feel that at all. So, I guess mm. in the for profit um, social enterprise space you know perhaps you you do get that thing back in return like if it's buying a product that is helping to go towards a charity or you know that creates the connection again between the person who is spending the money and the person who is getting the money
1: that's a really good point
0: but um but no i have i've seen it's exciting to see the rise of social enterprise and um Exciting to hear that you know you're going down that path, how is everything looking um, for that new setup? It's actually looking
1: really good i uh, just finishing off all the making sure making it legal all that uh, two thousand <laughs> late two thousand eighteen early 2019 is when I'll really start focusing on that Um, and it's just going to be a simple transition of I've been making announcements through expert exchange I'm going to continue doing one project a quarter uh, and then if and also make sure that the projects that I have going of course I'm fulfilling those and supporting the children with the educational supplies that we've promised. Um, And then unless I have someone come to me with a project they want, I won't be taking on any more projects, um, and I'll be focusing my time on the for-profit side. And then uh, from the for-profit, I'll be choosing... The projects that I want going forward. So,
0: and will you still um, be making- well not
1: directly me? It will be expert exchange through expert exchange. We have a group of we'll have a group of uh, advisory board who's choosing the project. So it's not directly myself, but our organization will be choosing.
0: And do you see that you'll be sort of increasing your impact or moving it towards a different space?
1: Yes, we'll be doing both. We'll be uh, going to new areas um, because <clears throat> the for-profit and expert exchange will probably be working in a lot of similar areas. because. Areas that I'm working with, I can always, when you're going into communities that have no aid, you can see it. Um, what business potential that have and how you could help them. And in the past, I've just passed that to other people. Um, but in the future, when I'm going to new areas, I'm also going to be looking for how I can help the community with building businesses. Have you uh, ever
0: thought about using um, sustainable tourism as a business?
1: Yes. So I've thought about using that along with um, the issue I was talking about before is a lot of people want to come and give back or be involved uh, building that into it. And what I foresee that would be, You know, going into a community where they're building a school or building a well or doing some sort of project where instead of teaching the children, we have volunteers coming in and we're working with the teachers and uh, just teaching them skills uh, to advance education.
0: So sort of bringing experts in their area to come and help in their own fields.
1: Uh, this what I was talking about was so for sustainable tourism. So bringing building in a a tourist uh, package where people and I'm just kind of making this up as I'm talking right now. It's, <laughs> it's an idea, but this we is
0: where ideas are born. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's you know. I I think a lot of people are looking to travel, but while they're looking, when they're traveling, they're also looking how they can have a unique experience with the culture, of like a real experience where they do homestays, things like that, and also how they can uh, give back.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you know, I've built my whole blog on this concept, and it's I've only just seen it become more and more popular and you know i think that there's so much room for growth especially in platforms that connect travelers with responsible tourism experiences um training people in these communities in the areas of hospitality like Mm. just even you know there's a the a place that i stayed in nepal um they went around and kind of they went to villages and trained some of the people and got their homes ready to be a homestay, and that's yeah. their livelihood now. It's their business, and you know tourism isn't exactly going to slow down anytime soon. Um, no, so that's it. If you, you know, at one point maybe you had to have a charity there, and now you don't need it. It's completely self-sustainable.
1: Yeah, that's amazing.
0: So I think, like, that's kind of what we'll see more in the future.
1: I think, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I think it's really good. It kind of goes back to your point with uh, charities are definitely helpful, but for how long are they? It is, and, you know, that's also another reason why I switched to uh, for-profit is because, I don't like when I'm going to areas people seeing uh me'm a foreigner and then automatically thinking money like he's coming and what is he gonna what is he gonna bring the community like what is he gonna give for free um I don't think that's good to for the children to be growing up and thinking that and seeing that um, that's one of the reasons why with The children that I've worked with now up in Siem Reap, I go through their parents, uh, and their their parents are the ones who get them school supplies and give them to them, because I don't want to reinforce this foreigner equals money type thing that I think has happened in Cambodia um, for a while. Uh, I think it's much more rewarding. Like you just said, the example of, home state where they're working and then they're also interacting with uh, people from other cultures and it's but it's their job it's not do you know what I mean by this
0: yeah absolutely it's (laughs) yeah
1: yeah
0: how are the the community that you're working with in Siem Reap
1: they're really good Uh, I
0: Tell us about the progress, because I I think I came in about 2015, I think, when I came to visit some of the families with you.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're still very poor. Uh, I like to develop jobs for the parents, but a lot of them have one so the the family dynamic a lot of them is it's just like the grandmother or the mom stays and then the males or or the aunts the, the the women without children are working in thailand or some other country and sending money back uh and what we did is we just we go in and we provide sponsorship to the children so they have backpacks all the supplies you would need for schools um, that uniforms which the kids love they feel such a sense of pride when they're wearing them and they feel a part of you know, their community they get to go to school and they have their uniforms uh, the problem we have with The community is the people who are there don't want to work because they're getting money sent back. So we've tried to develop uh, jobs with them and do projects like that in the past. It hasn't worked out. So our agreement with them now is just to keep the children in school. Uh, And, you know, that's where our agreement is. Uh, We have had a few times in the past where... Families don't really see the value of, unfortunately, they have three or four kids, and their youngest is a daughter, and they don't see the value of her getting education. And after we we've, they'll pull her out of school. So we've explained to them that, you know, we try and explain to them, that it is very important for their daughter to get education because with the way the world is we're not trying to uh, push our culture but uh, you know to give her a chance and not just think that she'll marry someone and that's the most she can do Uh, and we also have shifted to if we are sponsoring anyone in your family it's everyone it's either all or none and we didn't really like going to that approach, but that was the only way we could get it so that the families with the daughters uh, would keep them in school because to us that's really important. Um, and we try not to, like I said, push our culture, but with the that um, I'm pretty biased too, and I, I make. Sh- make sure that everyone's getting an equal shot at education
0: yeah i mean i think it's not so much pushing our culture but it's just proven you know that if if girls are educated they can make such a difference in their community in their family um you know we spoke a lot about it on international women's day um but i think it is so important for the development of the of the world is being able to put girls in education um so i think i mean just from your story i think that at the least you did the the best and the least that you could do which is give these children access to education and then you know they they will grow up not with the mentality um of just happy to kind of take money and, and not to to better themselves and their community, but rather just have this kind of sense of empowerment and, um, opportunity.
1: Yeah.
0: Which is, I think, the, a a model that could work in so many places. Um, Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, so it's just so exciting to hear your, just, opinions about this whole topic, which is sometimes so complex um but you know having been in the country for three and a half years i just wanted to get you on here because i know that you you're um an expert in the area (laughs) um but yeah well thank you so much i if our listeners want to find out any more information about expert exchange and you know what's coming up in the future where can they go
1: the website is um, expert exchange.org and um, Facebook is updated probably three, four times a week. And then to see kind of more, I say, behind the scenes of like just stuff going on in Cambodia and like rural Cambodia or Phnom Penh, city, uh, the Instagram's full of pictures like that. So uh, all those links are on the website. So if you go to the website expert-exchange.org, uh, the bottom left has the links to all of these things. Uh, and then there's also a contact button on there. So if someone has ideas from anything we were talking about, uh, feels motivated to reach out to me. I'm always looking for fresh opinions, uh, people who want to connect, who are in the same space, or you know someone who thinks that what we're talking about reminded you of them, they're doing this type of work, and you think we should meet. I'm always open to meeting people and seeing where things lead.
0: Amazing! I think networking is so important, and especially in our space. Like I love how we're all kind of coming together, um, which is why I wanted to do this podcast in the first place to, you know, bring together the change makers of the world. So, um, thanks so much for being on here, and uh, hopefully yeah, we'll see each other again in the near future. Maybe get my fifth time over to Cambodia.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: come we'll on back. Say- We'll (laughs) see. Thanks, Tony. Thank you.